anything from social media, sir, whilst we're connecting? Oh, uh, Sean Stephen Strugel. <laughs> <laughs> he has already done that profusely on, Bless him. Uh, on yeah. Skype. Bless him. Yeah. Let's see if this works. <laughs> oh, and um, Ant McCrary Thicket oh. Hello. Ooh, there's no sound. Oh. Hello. Oh. Did we break the internet? Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> can you hear me? Yes. I can indeed. Can you hear us? I can. Yay. Yay. Podcastic. Yay. We're good at this. <laughs> oh, we've been going for like 10 hours now. And every time I ring someone, I'm like, oh, what if this is the one that doesn't work? <laughs> Just get into a slight panic. Yeah, it's a bit stressful. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you after 10 hours? <laughs> yeah, my bum hurts. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. These chairs are uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I've now cracked open the whiskey, which means I can't actually feel my bum for different reasons. <laughs> Good plan. Yeah, Good yeah. Plan. Um, before I disappear for a, a toilet break whilst Stacey continues to talk... <laughs> um, I've got to say, and the last time I said I was going to disappear, I ended up then talking yeah, for another hour. I, no. um, I read the first volume of Bitch Planet oh. today. Um, <gasps> okay, we've been swearing since nine o'clock, so that's fine. So it's fine. Fucking awesome! It really is. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, just uh, absolutely loved it, and the little adverts between uh, comics. Just mm. oh, just <laughs> oh, those you know, are fun. those are really, really, yeah. really fun to write. That's, um, the, that's the fun part of the book. Just some of them, I thought, can I really buy this? <laughs> a couple of them. <laughs> really? Oh. Yeah, we we made, we had the the Spirit Fingers manufacturer. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, so we we have the Spirit Fingers. I think we still have some of the posters left. The thing we didn't think about when we did the when we we, we thought it would be funny to have some of the stuff available so like the 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 temporary tattoos the fingers the face masks and the posters we did oh oh and then um the signatures the thing where you can you can write in and we'll make you fake signatures oh it's just the six signatures you do isn't it yeah yeah uh, uh the, the thing it didn't occur to us that comics stick around for a while <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, you know, we did an, an initial order on all that stuff and it was like, ah, oh, this is funny. And, you know, and, and we filled orders for a while and then filling the orders was a lot more work than we thought it was going to be. And also like I priced everything terribly. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, uh, the orders continued to come in, like, you know, a year after the book's been out. <laughs> oh, no. So we've had to, I think we, like we we're trying to figure out what to do. Like we could just not fill them anymore, like not cash checks, you know. But sometimes people send money orders, or sometimes even though the instructions tell you not to, people send che- send uh, cash. Wow. Ooh. And um, yeah. So so we've we've actually we've we've m- made the spirit fingers three times. I think we've done three orders of the spirit fingers. Yeah. It's this was a terrible idea. <laughs> so, so really, I should now I should now cancel my order of spirit fingers that I put in this morning. Yeah, um, and one there was one night I had so many of the signatures to do that um, Brian Brian Bendis does a uh, he calls it family dinner night over at his house about once a month, and all the there's a, a gang of Portland comic people that hang out together. 
all go have dinner at Brian's house and we, everybody brings comps of their books. And you kind of go down the buffet line and you get food and then you go down the comic buffet line and get everybody's books. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's, it's like home. But I like, I set up a thing in their kids' playroom and I made everybody come do fake signatures. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, so, Kelly, for, is it, so my first question, is it, do I say Kelly or do I say Kelly Sue? It's Kelly Sue, but I'm not going to like refuse to answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just click. Yeah, 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 I'll, yeah, I won't refuse to answer. I'll just hang up. <laughs> um, so, Kelly Sue, for people who, um, don't know who you are or what you do would you like to introduce yourself and let us and tell us a bit about yourself um i am a comic book writer and now a television writer which is sort of a weird thing to get used to um i live in portland oregon i'm married to another comic book and television writer matt fraction mm-hmm. two kids two dogs and a cat and a lizard wow there's coyote and deer that live in the backyard wow that's some extended family <laughs> yes What's the, um, see, after you said two dogs, I was like, okay, because I'm, I'm more of a cat person, so I'm interested to know, what's the name of your cat and your lizard? <laughs> the cat is uh, Pablo's and Babwe Didgeridoo. But we just <laughs> <laughs> that, amazing. after 10 hours, I thought I wouldn't be surprised by a cat name. That is glorious. That is amazing. <laughs> we and, just can't Pablo, though. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the lizard is... Uh, Bearda, because uh, she's a she's a bearded dragon, and at first we thought she was a boy, so she was Beardo. <laughs> Beardo, but then we found out that she was a lady dragon, and we changed her name to Bearda. <laughs> I like that. That's more I, I, as, you, as you would. We do a voice for her. Bearda talks like this. <laughs> <laughs> would you like some salad? <laughs> Have you ever thought about going into voice work? <laughs> Oddly, I have not. Because <laughs> I think you'd be a bit amazing at it. I know. I now, I now suddenly want to like just just turn up at your house randomly for dinner just to see your house. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me. I'm Brian from the UK. I just want to pop around just to say hello and, and hear voices and, and eat your food. Seat. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you. How was your trip? <laughs> <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> We've gone into an I suddenly went all Dick Van Dyke. I was going to go, it was lovely, Mary. It was lovely, Mary Poppins. Chim Chimini. Chim Chimini. <laughs> um, oh, God. Oh, I've clearly drunk too much. Um, so you said you're now, uh, you're now a TV writer as well now. Yeah. What's, what are you doing on TV? Um, the only thing that I've done that I think I'm allowed to talk about is I wrote an episode of NBC's uh, Emerald City, which will be on here Ooh. in the winter, I think. Right. Yeah. So it's, it was very fun. Um, and I got to, I got to work with, uh, David Schulner and, uh, uh, Tracy, uh, Tracy's last name escapes me, which is <laughs> mortifying. Um, she's a very experienced television writer and she's amazing. And I don't remember her last name. Um, so I'm a turd. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, and Sean Cassidy, uh, singer Sean Cassidy. Oh yeah, a okay. Television writer and television producer, and uh, and I 
and sat with him in a room for a week and tried not to freak out. <laughs> and how did that work out? Um, well, I managed to pull it off until later, and then I would tell the story in interviews. I, I think he's on to me now. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, there's one, one point where he got he, He's a super nice guy and really smart. Um, and I don't, I, there's no reason why that should be surprising at all. I think it's just a relief, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, at one point his phone rings and he looks at it and he's like, excuse me. And he gets up and answers the phone and wants me to go, hi, mom, everything okay? And I'm like freaking out, like, Jones is on the phone right now. <laughs> and is you got that little internal voice going? Just be cool. Here he comes. Just be cool. Just be cool. Just you got you got this. Be cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was one. And there was a uh, one morning I came in and I'd like put my hair up. Uh, uh, he was like, "Well, you look nice today." And I'm like, go, took a moment to time travel back to like my nine self, and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> You win, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Just give yourself a nice high five. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you knew this day. You knew this day was coming. <laughs> Forty-five. <laughs> it's all gonna be worth it. <laughs> You've broken me. <Mary. laughs> <laughs> I now, I now, now cannot go to the toilet. I cannot leave. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm now. I'm, I'm, I may well wet myself, but I thought that's I was going to say, Barry hasn't peed for the whole 10 hours so far. It's making me really nervous. Uh, Whiskey. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to end well for my it's, kitchen. It's not going to end well for the. I'm going to break the internet. I'm, I'm like Kim Kardashian. I'm going to break the internet. But in the next sort of five hours, me bent over with champagne pouring on my ass. That's me. <laughs> that is me breaking the internet. I'm telling you, five hours from now, Done. I'm not filming that on Paris. Breaking can, it can somebody my donate to the charity to make Barry not do that, please? <laughs> do you like this? No, don't show me. Champagne pouring on the ass. That's all I'm saying. Kelly, be glad you can't see what's going on. Super <laughs> <laughs> grateful. So glad this is an audio meeting. So to, 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 bring, so to bring it back to a little bit of sanity. So. Um, Obviously, I've read Bitch Planet, so I know it's about and so it stays. Mm-hmm. How would you describe Bitch Planet to someone who was listening who knew nothing about it? Uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> no. It's not for the faint of heart. No. No, it is a, uh, it is a feminist satire of exploitation tropes from the uh, 70s and 80s. Uh, and kind of a, a satire of uh, sexism today as well. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, the tone. The problem with Bitch Planet is that I suck. And uh, <laughs> I mean for the tone to be that of Robocop. It's, it's supposed to be like, yeah, that, that is my, that is the, if I was trying to pitch this book, as a as a show or a film, I, like it's Robocop, it's Robocop, it's Robocop, it's Robocop, except it's about sexism and not uh, brain industry. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, that is what I'm trying to do, but 
sometimes my sense of, I, I, I described it in the beginning when I was talking about it to our team. I was like, you know, it's mean funny. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I lose the funny and it's just mean. <laughs> Luckily, my collaborator and co-creator, Valentine Delandro, is a super funny dude. And so he usually saves me my crazy pissed off self. Um, <laughs> but uh but not always so um it's so it's shocking to me like we've been taking pitches for uh we're doing short backup comics that are set in worlds but are created by different teams okay and so um we've been taking pitches on those for a while and it's been consistently the note we have to give is uh this is too serious it's this the it is supposed to be satire it cannot be uh, it can be shocking, you know, it can be transgressive, uh, but it, it, it can't, it has to be satirical. You have to find the element of satire in it. And that mm. is, that is the note we have to give literally on every single picture. Right. And that's, uh, and that makes me feel like I'm not getting that across in the book. So. Well, well, I think, I mean, and I'm only sort of one person, um, but my take, and I certainly got it reading it. Um, Especially with the, the sort of in between bits, the adverts and stuff like that, that kind of rammed it home. Cause it, it, especially I hadn't necessarily made the Robocop leap until you said it, but now that you've said it, I'm like, I get it. Especially cause I remember watching Robocop, it's that whole kind of like, oh, I buy that for a dollar. And, yeah. and, you know, and the whole kind of, I always remember there's a bit in Robocop with one of the adverts and it, it, I can't remember exactly, but it was some dude trying to climb up a, a rope or something. And there was loads of dogs that had set loose on him. And I, it was like a game show yeah. sort of thing. Um, and it, it definitely, it definitely had that vibe. And, and Running Man's another film that kind of had that kind of vibe. That's what that was from. Running for debt, climbing was for it? dollars is what that was Climbing called. for dollars. Yeah. That's Running Man, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I definitely got that satirical feel. And, but the other film it kind of reminded me of, and that was more the sort of that you've chosen the prison setting and, and the fact that you've got this sort of game was right. a, a film called, um, Mean Machine. I think it's Mean Machine I with, I Bert. that one. Oh, uh, wait, Longest Yard? Yeah, yes, sorry. It, I, I think in, I think in the States, it's probably called Longest Yard. This is with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think over here it was called Meme Machine. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, there's also, uh, uh, Victory. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was very, very much an, an influence on it. But, mm. um, but yeah, tonally, and, and the youngest, the longest yard has come up several times in reviews. Um, right. But, uh, which I try not to read reviews, but yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the victory was, was a part of the discussion early on and, um, and, you know, a chained heat and a billion of the different exploitation films. Yeah. And, um, and Robocop, 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 Robocop. Yeah. Cause one, cause one of the, the, the main, uh, character and her name escapes me now. Um, yeah. She gave, she gave me a real kind of Pam Greer vibe. Um, that sort of like Cleopatra Jones sort of kind of exploitation sort of character. Yeah. She's, so, the, so I have this problem that, um, and I, I can't, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if you can say it's a tendency as it's, it's, it's something I've done twice. So I don't, I don't know that that counts as a tendency, but it's my two creator owned books. Um, uh, Pretty Deadly and Bitch Planet both have these 
strong, quiet leads mm-hmm. uh, who are incredibly difficult to get to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with Pretty Deadly, it was intentional. I was trying to write Jenny as Clint Eastwood in the Man, the, the man with No Name films. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a very deliberate Leone um, nod, although the man with no name is remains a cipher and we know a lot about Jenny. Uh, and uh the 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 thing with Cam is she's kinda quiet. It's very hard to get her to talk, so it's very hard to get to know her. Mm. Uh which makes her a difficult protagonist. Um, particularly in a medium like comics where you don't have all the nuance that you have in uh you know, something where you see the, the motion and an actor has the opportunity to kind of convey character silently. Um, all that has to be handled by the drawings. And, um, and that's tough. It's really, really hard to do. Yeah. Val has pulled it off well, but I have not given him, um, I, I, I have not made his job easy by, by making her, um, su- such a, uh, reticent, Person. Mm. Well, I think like um, so. I'm a big fan, not necessarily of his horror stuff, because I'm I'm a wuss. I don't really like horror films. <laughs> um, but like uh, the John Carpenter films that I sort of grew up with as a kid, like Escape from New York and um, Assault on Precinct 13, which is like one of my sort of all time favorite films, not the remake. Ugh. Um, uh, that's how I am about Robocop people are like oh the original or the uh, there are no others no. <laughs> yeah the voice your voice goes dark and the clouds sort of no there are no others there's only one there's um, only one Robocop I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about <laughs> but I think with certainly with um, Assault on uh, Precinct 13 sort of hero cop in that was very kind of molest elaborate didn't really say a lot um yeah, I mean that was a, that was a trope in the seventies, right? Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the, the like the strong, quiet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 very deliberate. In 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 the Japanese films, uh, the Pinky Violence films, also of, of the seventies, there's this woman, this actress, Mei Fukaji, um, right? And uh, my two favorite films of hers, and probably the two best known, are. Uh, Female Prisoner Number Seven Hundred One Scorpion, which just rolls off the tongue, <laughs> <laughs> and Lady Snowblood. Interestingly, both of which were based on manga series. Oh. Uh, but Mayukukaji is this actress who has that Clint Eastwood quality, where she doesn't have to speak much, and her presence is incredibly menacing. Um, and that's cool because you don't get to see that from women very often. It's not something our cinema embraces. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I just the conversation. no, no, I was, <laughs> no, because I was gonna, I was gonna ask a, a question about sort of, um, so what sort of certainly in, 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 I suppose in TV and movies, what sort of female characters do you like? What sort of characters are you drawn to? I'm trying to get specifics out of you, really, because it's just something I find quite interesting. Well, I mean, I, the, that's the thing about um, I prefer not to. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about what, what we see. I, I, I will talk about what we don't get to see from women. Cause you, you know, we have a, a very yeah. limited palette of women. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we, we have an innate understanding culturally that men are as different as their numbers, but, uh, we like to fit women into like six or seven boxes. Yeah. Um, uh, and so 
you know, I, I, I don't really try to think about my women in types. I try to think about them as, uh, as individuals. Um, so what I'm looking for in any protagonist is, uh, what they want and what's in their way. And then I want to see something that I don't usually get to see. And sometimes that can be something as, as simple as, you know, the dirty little secret about the, the success of, uh, Captain Marvel is female friendships. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when generally in our culture, when we get to see female friendships, they're like, you know, bonding over diets and salads and dudes and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and shoes, shoes, um, <laughs> And look, I love shoes, and I can talk about lipstick. <laughs> but, uh, but there, are, there's more to us than shoes. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 like the, the the time, the time that I spend talking about dudes and shoes, relative to the time that any woman on screen spends talking about dudes. And shoes, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's just like, come on, shut up. Um, I mean, I think even though we get a bit of a probably a better shake, but I feel in a different way, the same thing, say, say this as a, as a black guy, I feel this same thing about a lot of the, um, you know, the black characters that I see. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. On, on screen, you know, evil with a sort of like, you know, sassy sidekick or, you know, yeah. just you're just waiting for someone to go, oh, hell no, or something like, you know, mm. some little one-liner and stuff like that, which is, and it's funny because I was talking to someone about the John Carpenter films the other day and I was saying to him, one of the, um, one of my inspirations as a, as a writer myself, was watching Assault and Precinct 13 as a kid before I'd even really done any, picked up a pen or anything like that, and seeing this amazing character, and that's how I saw him. He was an amazing character who also happened to be black. It wasn't like he was a black guy. Do you know what I mean? It, it was, he was an amazing character who also happened to be black. And he was the, he was the hero of the piece, and he was completely against the type of anything I'd kind of seen before. And I think what I mean by the type was he, he was a normal guy. There was yeah. no, it, it, there wasn't, there wasn't a, like you said, there wasn't a box I could just put him into. I think um, the thing that people, like I've, I've had, I've had arguments with other writers before where they're like, you know, well, like, uh, uh, Gina Davis's organization put out this thing that I absolutely loved. It was like, you know how you get more women in your scripts? Take half the characters and change them to women. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and I was like, fuck yes! Job <laughs> yeah. uh, done! This dude, and of course it was a dude. It was a well meaning well, dude, but yeah. oh my god, the time in my life I spend on well meaning dudes. <laughs> uh, and and this, this dude was like, you know, well, you can't do that. You just, you can't take a character and just make them a woman. You have to, you know, then you're not really writing them as a woman. I'm like, the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Yeah. I'm a woman, and I promise you, I don't sit around thinking about my femininity, you know? Like, it, it, that's not, I don't, I don't, I literally have no fucking clue what that means. Um, and if you cast that character with a woman, that character will be a woman. Yeah. You know? We were sort of talking about this earlier when we were talking about masculine and feminine traits because yeah. we had a bit of a conversation about sort of mental health and how it's a bit of a stigma for men to even admit that they have thoughts, let alone that they might be sad, negative ones or might make them want to cry. And it really bothers me that we spend so much time attributing traits to certain genders 
when it it doesn't make we all feel things all the time. Yeah. And it's you know yeah they might be slightly different things and like your version of you know what you think and feel is going to be different because of the experiences you've had from being a black guy whereas what i think and feel is going to be different from the experiences i've had of being a fat (laughs) white woman like it's it's an entire oh it just yeah i I might get on my soapbox what i always say to people as well it's like this this idea of like you know like with black characters in inverted commas Mm -hmm. um and it's it's the same sort of principle like i i literally do not spend my entire day talking about being black being a, a black man. being a black guy <laughs> it's not like an important part of your identity because certainly it is and it is also an important yeah. part of your experience but it doesn't like if there's a character in a film and you cast them with a black dude now they're a black dude yeah. <laughs> you write them so they kind of special you know what i mean like you don't yeah. have to like oh let me go through my script and insert blackness which is experience of blackness yeah and i think that and i think there's there's where you get the problem is then you get people who do go back and try to write in like you say blackness and my my experience of being a black guy is completely different from any other person's experience Mm -hmm. of being a black guy i'm a black guy living in northampton in england that's completely different to a black guy living in New York or a black guy mm. living in Poland or a black guy living in Russia. They're completely different experiences. Whereas literally, we have, we have a running joke in my house, me and my wife. And, um, and my wife is white. So, but the, the, the running joke that we have is whenever we watch cop shows and there's a black character in there, I always nudge her and go, we, we wait for what I call to be the, the, the going home episode. Mm-hmm. And by that, there's always an episode where either you find that that cop is either, either used to be in a gang or his brother was in a gang mm-hmm. or his best mate was in a gang and then he's got to go back to where he came from because he's got to solve a crime there and, and like the minute he goes back everyone's like man you sold out you left us it's all this <laughs> bullshit you know whereas he can't just be he couldn't have just been the fact that not every black guy was in a gang he might have just been a regular guy who just lived down the fucking street who just went i'm gonna be a cop today okay cool you do you know what i mean and and it's it's like and that's the only episode that he gets in that show, which is what annoys me. The yeah. only something which kind of focuses on him is that episode. Yeah. And then it's back to normal where he's just a, he's just a background guy, you know, and it, it's, I've got on my soapbox now, but that's the sort of thing that sort I love of a good soapbox. winds me up. And it, that's why we, we have a show over here, which is called, um, Luther. Um, yeah, with Elge Elba. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant because what, when they talked to the guy who created Luther was effectively he said what he wanted to do was Columbo. And, and when you know that watching Luffy, you suddenly realize that's actually what it is. He, he's doing Columbo. But if he turned to you and said, I want to do a black Columbo, it, you, you then sort of go, uh, what the fuck? But he hasn't done that. He's given you a, a fully realized character who's well rounded, who's just a regular character. And to take your point, um, Curly Sue, he could have been a white dude. He could have been an Indian dude. He couldn't jump in. And, I think and this is a bit why I get on my soapbox about the new Ghostbusters movie. Not because I'm like anti a lady Ghostbusters, because I, but, but because I felt like they were going out to make a female Ghostbusters and they didn't really care about anything else other than the fact that they had to have vaginas. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I haven't yet, no. And I, to be fair, I'm like, I'm not 100% against it because I love the idea of more Ghostbusters things and um, I'm very excited about uh, seeing ghosts 
with slightly better CGI and stuff. Mm. Uh, but the, the the biggest problem for me is that I don't, I personally don't find Kristen Wiig or Melissa McCarthy at all funny, and I don't know who the other two are. So I'm very indifferent at the moment. <laughs> well, um, the the trailer didn't look particularly appealing to me, but that dude has never made a bad movie, you know. So, um. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm withholding judgment on it. But the thing that, the thing about it, where I get a little defensive is we only have this kind of upset if, like, when there's a film that's, that's a cast of dudes, and it's entirely dudes, nobody says, well, their only concept was that it be dudes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, again, we're trying, we're, we're calling far too much attention to the, the Women are 51% of the population in the United States. I don't know what the figures are in, in England, but we're not actually a minority. We are only a power minority. Um, but somehow, if we're more than 30% present, we're seen as overwhelmingly female. Um, and there are tons of films that are all men. Yeah. And nobody talks about it, and nobody notices it. But if it's all women, it becomes a thing. Um, and then, like, you know, the poor dudes. And I, I'm just not losing any sleep for the poor dudes. <laughs> <laughs> representation issues. <laughs> I, I, I think that's fair. And I mean, it may be a terrible movie. I have no idea. But, um, but I, I don't think it's a fair. I mean, when the first Ghostbusters came out, nobody got pissed off because it was all guys. Yeah. You know, I think you ask, uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like, how many women on the Supreme Court are going to be enough? She'll say nine. Uh, now there are only nine positions on the Supreme Court. Uh, and then people lose their shit and they're like, hundred some years? The Supreme Court had nine dudes and no one thought that was a problem. Yeah. But you get more than 30% women and everybody starts to lose their shit. Like, we're going to take over. Which, you know, I'm all for, frankly. <laughs> I'm, all for, I'm all for, like, giving everyone everyone a turn at the wheel. I think, you know... If, <laughs> there you go. Sounds fair. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting conversation because, um, because it's hard to walk the line between I don't want to erase anybody's cultural experience, mm -hmm. but I also don't want to use the very, very minimal stereotypes that have been used to communicate the entirety of these cultural experiences, you know? So like when yeah. I write the cast of Bitch Planet, I don't sit down and go, well, now I'm writing black women, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, I am a super white lady. Uh, I'm like clear. I'm uh, and I, you know, I do, I do my research and I have a partner who's a black man who has my back. Uh, if I do anything that you know, is really culturally insensitive or just stupid. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I write, I don't sit down to write the black experience. I sit down to write these specific characters. I'm writing yeah. Pam. I'm writing Maroa. I'm writing, uh, Penny. I'm not writing Penny, but 
black. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's just who she is. Well, and interesting, when I read it today, and um, I was reading Penny, and specifically Penny's um, origin story, yeah. Uh, which I thought was really great. There's a sequence in it with her. Is it, uh, it's not a mum, is it? It's her grandmother, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And there's a, um, a, there's a, her, her grandmum wears a sort of knotted scarf. Um, and I, pro- it reminded me, she was the spitting image of my mum. Oh, really? Her, her, her grandma, because her mum always, we always, used, as kids, we always used to joke, because there used to be an old Burt Lancaster film called The Crimson Pirate. And we always used to call mum the Crimson Pirate because ne- <laughs> because you never saw her without this headscarf. <laughs> so so you know in our in our mind mum was like a pirate. We always used to really you know, call it Errol Flynn and stuff like that because she always had this headscarf. So so when I saw it today, it reminded me, and I want to say thank you because it reminded me of mum in a good way. And it made me smile because I was like, mum used to wear those, but the conversation was a real conversation, yeah. and and I think I'm so used to reading. Where I've even, I've had authors ask me and ask Dave, you know, where they've kind of said, and I'm not, I'm, if they're listening, because some of them are friends of mine, I'm not dissing them at all, mm-hmm. but they've kind of got in contact with saying like, you know, I'm writing these black characters, you know, how, how should I go about doing these characters? I'm kind of like, well, I don't fucking know. Well, unless, what characters? You know, unless you're, unless you're writing a, um, an autobiographical version of me, unless it's me, I could tell you how I would react to things. But yeah. that's not that's not me as a black guy. That's just me being Barry. Do you know this you is know? one of the biggest things about being a woman that drives me a bit potty is when people always assume that anything that other women do, I'm going to be totally fine with. <laughs> like, um, you know, like the whole like conservative party thing at the moment. People be like, oh, you should be fucking having a party that there might be another lady PM. And I'm like, yeah, but have you seen the two ladies? And I'm like, that's <laughs> not that's not very feminist of you. And I'm like, with that. Being feminist doesn't mean thinking that all women are the greatest things since sliced bread and that everything they do is cool and groovy. Because yes. some women are assholes. Guess what? Some men are assholes. Yes. Some different yeah. races, like people have, di- like, there's so many assholes and nice people. It's just, it drives me a bit mad that people seem to think that the arbitrary traits of your physical self represent who you are as a person and, and how you should think and act. And I'm soapboxing again. Mm. <laughs> There's a a book called Delusions of Gender that uh, is really fantastic books that um, punches a lot of holes in those. When you when you get into conversations with people who will start to, I I I had a conversation with a a woman who who you know I I I I, I love as a person, but we have super different philosophies (laughs) and. uh, you know, she has that whole, like, well, the female brain, like, I have a female brain, <laughs> female liver, all right? You, you have a Kelly Sue brain, and I yeah. have a Stacey brain. Barry has and, a Barry um, brain. Uh, but Delusions of Gender is a really fantastic book. But, uh, there's this, gonna there's another one. But Delusions of Gender and Brainstorm are the two that I always recommend that, that shoot holes and all that shit. Right. So, um, sort of... Going sort of not off topic at all, but um, I was wanting to talk about your TV writing and your sort of comic writing. Um, have you found there's quite a big difference between doing the two things, or there's a lot of similarities? I might have even been a stupid question I've just asked. So apologies if it is. <laughs> you know, I, I'm still learning television, and I, I think more than the writing of the television, I'm sort of I'm writing's kind of writing. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's certainly styles and limitations um, in, in television and 
comics. Our comics have to be so compressed. Um, that is a that is a discipline that you know, when you get into like television or God stage, it just stage feels like like taking the shackles off. <laughs> but uh, so th- 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 you know there are differences in craft, absolutely. But more than that, you know, comics are incredibly free. Even even doing. Uh, work for higher stuff, you, you know, working for the biggest corporations there are, DC and Marvel, you are, uh, you're not as limited as people think you are. They, DC and Marvel want your crazy ideas. They, they want, like, go nuts, you know? Um, uh, they, quite frankly, you know, love things that'll get people's attention. And, and, uh, there, there's not a, they're, they're, they're billion dollar companies, but the but comics, comics don't act like it. You know, right. it's, not, it's not like there's not six levels of people giving you notes because there's millions and millions of dollars going into the production of every page, you know? Um, whereas with television, there's six levels of people giving you notes. Millions, <laughs> millions of dollars going into the production of every page. Yeah. Um, and so it is far, far more conservative. There's just a whole lot more people involved and a whole lot more money involved. So you can't, in my experience, and I'm super new, so nobody's going to hand me the keys to anything, you know? <laughs> um, but you can't get away with the kind of thing in TV that you can get away with in comic books. And then, you know, there's just the sort of like budget stuff. It, you know, it costs the same amount to draw anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, uh, my husband wrote a, a script and it had had uh, a scene that was a, a group of horsemen come up, right up. And he got the note back and was like, could it be a horseman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was just this sort of like that's the kind of thing we don't think about in comics at all. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I was like, you know, you got four horsemen, and now now we got a budget for four horses and four actors, and you know, the whole and this becomes a whole thing. And it's significantly cheaper if we have one dude on a horse. You know what's even better? He walks up. I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's, it's, it's a it's a new language to learn um, the new new considerations um but you know I mean, some stuff's the same some of the stuff is like well, as a lady although there are a lot more women working in television than there are in comics so that's nice mm-hmm. yeah, okay well that's the i mean that's the sort of big talking point at the moment isn't it is the whole sort of women in comics debate really um there's a ton of women now there's a ton it's still not near parody mm-hmm but it is uh, way better than it was even when my career sort of took off. And, um, you know, like women have always made comics and women have always read comics, but we have a very short institutional memory. And we, you know, we have this tendency to believe that women just recently discovered comics, and that's not true at all. But we're, we're... you know, in the in the forties and fifties, there were 
women's magazines that were largely comics. There was a, a girls' magazine called Calling All Girls that had a distribution of um, half a million copies a month. And uh, those are that was girls reading comics. Um, <laughs> but at some point, different reasons that I could bore you with at great lengths. But you know, there was the big ones in recent years were. Uh, in the 80s in particular, um, comics uh, really became, they re- really embraced being um, commercials for toys. The, yeah. The rise of what's called targeted marketing. Um, they started really marketing those, boys, those toys to boys, hardcore, and separating the way that toys were. Toys were no longer marketed to children they were marketed to girl children or boy children um in a in a way that they had not they've been they've always been separated but there'd always been a third category that was for everybody um and they just did away with that third category and um and the you know the theory of targeted marketing is high status and low status and um men are high status in our culture so uh women will consume things are marketing at men but because it's okay to aspire up, but um, men are actively discouraged from consuming anything that is marketed to women because that's uh, cross-identifying down. We don't want you to do that. So, um, so in this, the same reasons that we have, you know, we're more than fifty percent of the population, but we're only thirty percent of uh, speaking roles and sixteen percent of protagonists. Wow. Yeah, and those are rough numbers. Yeah, women are used to cross-identifying. We have no problem identifying the male hero, hero rather. Um, but uh, men are actively discouraged from identifying. And that becomes a cultural problem in a, in many other ways. That again, I can I can hear you. Listeners going to sleep. So I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's too early for that yet. Yeah. <laughs> the the. You know, we actively discourage men from empathizing. Um, we are marginalizing and dehumanizing women, and that uh, contributes to violence against women. Which, um, you know, the, the the higher the violence rates against women, the, the less rights women have, the le- the less successful that culture is. You know, in all the ways that we measure success, it's actually like you want to improve uh, everyone's. Um, quality of life treat your women better can't say fair than that really that's a that's a good note to come to the end of our of our little chat I, I, I could literally talk to you all day I think but um, you've probably got better things to do then <laughs> I have to dye my daughter's hair my daughter uh, wants <laughs> oh wow I've, I've literally got no response to that. I um I've often toyed with the idea of just shaving off my hair and buying an array of wigs because I'm so fickle about hair colour. <laughs> I've had my hair this um uh, 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 little mermaid red <laughs> <laughs> for so many years that it's it's now something of a calling card and to the, to the point where it's like maybe I should change that. I think I've just become like the dude that wears the fedora to school. <laughs> No, you have a look. That's not good. <laughs> oh, we'll see. All right, my friend. Right, is this on that. Right? It yes, is it indeed, is. yes. Yes. Yeah. My grandma has uh, 
is in an institution that does not recognize any of us. So I appreciate you doing this work. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing that we discover that everyone's everyone I think knows someone, if not a member of their family, mm. probably a member of someone else's a friend's family or whatever that's kind of sort of suffered from it. Yeah. Um so no, I think it's an important It's charity. utterly terrifying to my honestly. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Grandma's um is grandma deconic, my my dad's mom. Um, and she doesn't have, we're lucky that she, she doesn't have the spells of, um, terror or anger, um, yeah. which are the, the really horrifying, uh, things to see. She's just sort of delightfully oblivious, or at least that's what I've been told, um, by my aunt who sees her the most. Um, and I would like to believe that is the truth because anything else just is, is too painful to imagine. Yeah. Um, but her mom had it and her sister had it and um, um, scares the hell out of her. Mm. So, anyway, on that light note. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking some time yeah, to talk to us today. You. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, you guys. Uh, thank, and you should, and you, thank you again. Thank you. And you should definitely consider doing stand up. <laughs> I'll do my best. And you should pee. Okay, I'm you gonna go. Pee. I'm gonna. I'm going. I'm you going. You absolutely now. should pay. I'm going now. And and remember, <laughs> Don't go and now remember, Kelly. See, in five hours' time, I'm gonna break the internet. Champagne on ass. Oh. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Take do I care. have to be here for that? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going. <laughs> Bye. Oh, we've massively overrun. Who wants to be the person to tag on it to shut up? Not me. That's for sure. <laughs> Let's Five call hours. Dominique. We've got like six minutes. <laughs> Shut up, Barry. <laughs> Hello, am I coming through? Hello, you are indeed. Are you all right? Uh, yes, I am the I am the kid at school who wore the fedora. No, I, no, I'm really not. <laughs> Do you know when she was saying that? I was just thinking there was legit a kid at my school who wore a fedora, but um. There you go. <laughs> well, everybody knows one, don't they? Yeah, everybody I think so. <laughs> oh, dear. How are you doing? I'm so sorry we're, like, so behind, but I just, I didn't want to have to tell Kelly Sue to be quiet because, you know, it's Kelly Sue. I just think we follow up Kelly Sue to Connick as uh, well. I know, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, um, she's a bit great, isn't she? A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but let's big you up. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, I've done things. You've done things. You've done things with me, Ua. Um, uh, 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 is it that late already? Can we talk, can we talk about this thing? Possibly can. Oh, dear. Um, so for those people who don't know who you are, do you want to give uh, give a little bit of a Dominic bio? The, ele- the elevator pitch. Yeah, there you go. Do okay. that. Okay. All right. So, hi, I'm Dominic Westland. Um, I, uh, mainly on the internet, I suppose my, if I had a, claim to fame, I suppose. I do a lot of uh, podcasting. Uh, I've done predominantly within the miniature wargaming community, which most people know as, well, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're aware. You know you know the saddos who paint the figures, put them together, <laughs> game them on the table? I wouldn't call them saddos, but yes. Community, <laughs> <laughs> I can say it. It's fine. <laughs> Basically, I did a lot of podcasting within that, so talking about the community, the games, the tactics. I did that for a, a good number of years. Um, I did a film review show for about two years or so. Um, but at the moment, my two main projects when it comes to audio are um, a show called uh, Tales of Malifaux, mm-hmm. which is also slightly related to uh, tabletop gaming. And the thing that we both did, as you put it, which is uh, 
Great Gun and Starburst, which Yay. is about, I want to say about a month ago, just wrapped season two. Yep, it was the, uh, I remember it clearly, it was the last weekend of May because it was my anniversary weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I chose to spend it in a recording studio with you guys. Well, not for the whole time. We actually had, it was very professional this year. <laughs> Do you know, I was uh, I was a little bit sad about that because um, I was having so much fun and I really wanted to like eyeball the rest of you because while I was actually in the recording studio, even though I was doing scenes with you guys, I wasn't really paying any attention to what you guys were doing because I was too busy shitting it about whether or not I was any good. <laughs> you, you never had to. You said exactly the same thing in your vocal audition. Like, you, you came on, you did the audition, you said you were bricking it, and afterwards, as soon as, they put the phone, as, soon as you put the phone down, we were like... We really need to have her in the show because they're just normal Bromi accents. <laughs> and I didn't even do it on the show. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a lot of the other people on there. Um, other than other than you, really. Well, less more so in season two. Mm. Well, more so in season one. Actually, I've got these like really pronounced Queen's English, West Country or South Wales accents. <laughs> So we just needed a bit of, you know, like a bit of a mix in there. Yeah, and then I just didn't even do it. <laughs> Shame. I know, I'm sorry. But yeah, uh, Reagan and Starburst, which is created by a mutual friend of ours called Holly, who is absolutely fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, goes around the internet as Little Prince uh, cosplay as well. Yep. Uh, essentially, it's a series that sends up a lot of the sci-fi tropes uh, so things like the uh, hero that rips his shirt off, uh, <laughs> AI, aliens, all of it. It's all thrown in there. I mean, each, each, yeah, each season more or less focus on, focuses on one major trope. Um, and the two main characters are Reagan, who I play, who's, I, I was described as kind of like part Bill Bagging, part Arthur Dent. There's a lot <laughs> of there. Yep. He's kind of thrown headlong first into this adventure. He's just broken up with his, uh, with his, uh, wife. He's a much better person than he is. Far better person. And he decides to take out his rage by going on, by buying a space, a secondhand spaceship and flying it into the stars, which is where he bumps into, uh, Starburst, who is the actual her- uh, hero and, uh, capable one on the ship. He then drags him along into, well, in season one, a conflict, uh, conflict with a character called Kathleen La who's played by uh, Ian Sharman, uh, who is very much into his baking, because he's evil, <laughs> but there's, there's more to him than just evil. I mean, the, the fantastic thing about the Castle and Lar character that Ian plays is that he said a lot of his inspiration for it came from Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> Which is horrifying. And now that he said it, like, <laughs> I, I can't, it's one of these things where I, I just can't unsee it. I can um, and season two, he basically finds our characters, I believe it's, uh, the clock's come forward about a year or so. Um, raised a little less rubbish, but still not by much. <laughs> um, and they are hired by the librarian who totally has all of her marbles together. Oh yes, uh, of course. <laughs> who, uh, tracked down a paradox, but that paradox turns out to be a person, a, a time traveller. So it's kind of them doing their best to keep this time traveller um, from the, well, I was doing a bit of commas evil, but I'm, I'm sure she's ultimately just misunderstood. Um, <laughs> well, when I, cause I play the librarian in the, in series two, Barry's looking at me. What? I haven't said, hi, Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> He's just come back from his pee. Um, <laughs> Thank, thanks for sharing. 
um, yeah, my inspiration for the librarian was sort of like a, a slight, like like the librarian equivalent of a of a crate, like a mad scientist. Like there's a lot of intelligence there, but also wow, she's bonkers. It's all falling out. The intelligence. Yeah. Is all- yeah that's that's pretty much what i was going for uh it yeah it was sort of like at, f- at first glance you might listen to her speak and think oh she sounds very knowledgeable about life and the universe and everything and then the more you talk to her you think oh she's unhinged <laughs> <laughs> she's like actually unhinged well, the show's actually like that i think like for the first uh first episode or so for the first like seven eighths of it She's in charge and she's an authority figure. Starburst is very keen on her because she speaks down to Starburst a lot and she's not a fan of that. Um, and then it's only really towards the end of the episode where kind of like the light goes on and you see the madness behind the eyes. Like, oh, actually, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have taken that contract with that person because they're actually a bit loopy. <laughs> I tell you what, I can't wait for this to come out. Well, I say I can't wait. I'm like half can't wait, half dreading ever hearing my stupid voice recorded. But... <laughs> Well, it's meant to be this autumn. I mean, uh, Ian has already started uh, editing it, from what I can see. And, I mean, see, season one was good, but it was uh, season one was um, a lot harder, I found, put together, because we were in a recording studio about the size of shoebox. Mm. I was in there the whole time, even when I wasn't recording. I was uh, doing all the sound desk. Whereas this time around, we had a professional studio. Uh, we had plenty of help from um, Georgia Humphrey, uh, uh, who plays Starburst, her uh, stepdad did a lot of the audio mixing, and it was, mm-hmm. like, his studio was professional. It totally was. Um, and I think the sound quality's a lot better. I think that the, the script is certainly a lot better. I mean, there were a bit there, I mean, not that season one was bad at all, I've got to be very careful, because Holly won't be coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Treading lightly on eggshells. Um, but, like, it was all done, it, I, I just, it's going to be, it's miles and above better in season one, I think. And season one was fantastic. I mean, we got uh, got nine out of ten from Starburst magazine, which is like it's a Reagan magazine. That's fine. That's totally fine. But it's a Reagan stripper, apparently. <laughs> oh, the the images, just the I, images. Oh, <laughs> I remember. I remember Holly sending me the uh, the. the, the the pictures of him and it's like, Oh my friends an actual the actual ray gun was like, Oh no, like that's mind bleak territory, it really is. <laughs> um, and the other new character that we have in season two is a character called uh Kess, who is the uh time traveller character. Um and it was a very important character for Holly who wrote the show because uh Kess identifies as non binary. Mm-hmm. Which was utterly fantastic to have that type of a character in the show. Um, I get to have the whole conversation at the start of episode two of having that explained to me. So I was like beforehand, I was like, right, Holly, if I mess up, tell me because of this single most important scene in the whole series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make sure I do it correctly. And apparently we did it all in more or less one take. So I was very chuffed myself. Uh, with with that, so I was like, "Well, I know this character is literally your favorite character and is your baby." So yeah, tell me. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely loads of fun doing it. Um, and there's well, they've got Ian and Holly. Seen them with ideas for series after. I I, I heard bits about uh, like a series seven and bits of series, and it's like, well. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, though, I I genuinely could see. Uh, could see many more series in its future because it's... Could just say series. 
All right, thanks. Many more series. <laughs> um, <laughs> Try it. No. I don't know why. Soon after 10 hours, my voice has suddenly dropped a couple of notches. I suddenly sounded really, like, bassy then. Yeah. Got a bit of a James Earl Jones. I don't like it. Bit Quit. of a James Earl Jones thing going on. <laughs> Probably, maybe I'm losing my voice. Oh, God, no. Please don't do that. Not now. We're not even halfway through. Oh, <laughs> what was I saying? I've forgotten. Series. Something about... More oh, yeah. Because, I, yeah, like series. you were saying, I listened to Series 1 and thought it was chuffing brilliant. Um, did the audition for Series 2 thinking nothing would come of it because I thought, <laughs> I'm nowhere near that good. Um, and then when I read the script, I was like, oh, oh, holy cow. Oh, this is pressure because it's really fucking good. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Like, I thought se- Series 1 was going to be something for me to have to live up to voice-wise, but then I read the script for Series 2 and I was like, well shit like this is really good oh dear um, I, I think like another reason why like season one just worked together so well beyond just the writing was first of all everyone by the end of it worked so well together so everyone's mm. snapping and popping along perfectly but also having the foley and the sound effects on which added a whole other level because i listened to people recording it and it was like us having a very dramatic conversation in space <laughs> that's all that's what it was like but then putting the sound effects in there was like really just um well when i did draw when i did ra- ra- uh, radio in university they always use this phrase of uh theater of the mind and it really did create that world in your brain i mean um i've got a bit of i mean i'm a massive audio drama fan i've listened to, i did listen to the first episode of Rainbow and starbucks because when you were doing the kickstarter um i know we promoted it on GS, so I listened to it and did really enjoy it. Um, but I mean, so I'm a massive audio drama fan anyway, but also like I produced, uh, well, produced, um, a four part audio drama, which was Empire of Blood. And on, on that, I kind of helped it with, I kind of did some of the co-writing on it. And, um, in the end, I think I did all the, I put in the sound effects and the, the music in the last, certainly the last episode. Um, which apparently is incredibly hard and yeah. incredibly time consuming. Yeah. Um, but that, the, the end product and, and, you know, I was working with limited whatever. So, you know, but for me, the, listening back to the end product, uh, which again is the reason why I love audio dramas is that fear of the mind thing. And I know I first, my, the first audio drama I ever listened to was, um, the Lord of the Rings audio drama, which is what was on the uh, BBC dramatized it and used but to come. Not, yeah. Yeah. B- BBC Radio 4 and it used to come on. Uh, I don't know how, I think it was Sundays, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I've now got the box set and I think the box is about 30 hours long. And every year, once a year, I will listen to that box set over a course of a few months because it is just epic. And if you, if you love all your dramas, you've never listened to The Lord of the Rings, you, you should take the time to, to do that. Um, because it's just amazing. Um, and I think the, the internet and the advent of podcasts has allowed people to get their own out. In other, there's, I mean, the, the big one that, of course, everyone's probably aware of is Welcome to Night Vale, which is utterly fantastic. Mm. They've started doing a few more as well recently. The one that's called Alice is Dead, which I think is actually probably better than Night Vale at the moment. Just like so amazingly well written and atmospheric. Um, they've had the one recently come out, which is uh, called Within the Wires, which they haven't told us much about. It seems like a bunch of like therapy tapes from an in, uh, insane asylum. Um, and one that, well, like we've talked about sound effects, what I think that really benefits from amazing sound effects is this one I've just recently finished, and I wish it was more than six episodes, is one called Limetown, which is a journalist investigating a mass disappearance. But 
it's done like a documentary, uh, just like a normal real-world documentary, but you get little touches like uh, the reporter going through a tent and the sound sounding different from outside the tent to when she opens up the tent uh, flat door and going inside. Just, and just a little touches like that. Do it, It's kind of like the trying to think of an analogy here, but I've got nothing. It's kind of like just the final the final market. It just sets it above um, everything else. Well, ultimately, I found with a couple of sound effects and, well, I do all my editing on a rubbishy little map, you can do tons on just that. You really can. I mean, um, I, I mean, I did a lot of mine on, on a Mac as well and, and just surfing the net for like free sound effects and stuff like that. And, and you're right, you know, you can sort of do a lot, but I kind of want to sort of change tack slightly because one of the things on, on the little blurb about yourself that you've got is, um, <clears throat> that you're an avid listener of podcasts mm-hmm. and, um, it's not often we get a chance to like sort of chat with a podcast listener okay. as opposed to a, you know, podcast because I seem to always spend my time talking to other podcasters. Um, so I've got kind of two questions for you. One, what is it that attracts you to podcasts? And two, what are some of your favourite podcasts? I'm not expecting you to name either of mine or Stacey's. I'm expecting you to name The Parlour. Otherwise, I'm hanging out. No, that's not, <laughs> that's she, not true. She said that, but she's she's still nodding at me going, I will fucking hang I want some praise today, at least, for yeah, yeah. sake. Yeah, okay, fair well, enough. Well, obviously, The Parlour goes without saying. That. Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that the the episode you recorded with me was lost to the internet entirely. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not hurt by that at all. I'm not hurt by that. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, what a podcast. First of all, is oh, most of them are free. <laughs> That's always a good story. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> yeah, so you can get all of this wonderful audio, no pirating, no downloading, nothing dodgy for... Free or in some cases very little if they ask you to like say a Patreon or a Kickstarter or something of that variety. Mm. Um, and what else? I, I think it's because the cover podcast and cover there, there is something for everybody, which is awful and sounds awful and cliche. But <laughs> when it comes to television and film, like there's a very there's a set schedule. There is only set stuff being made. But because podcasts a lot of the time are being made can be made by say. Uh, different communities or different uh, different people. It's it's um it, it gives kind of a voice to people that wouldn't normally have an opportunity to do that normally. Like mm. a lot of the podcasts I listen to come from the tabletop wargaming uh, community. Never get any of that on television, but mm. because they put microphones in computers and you have audacity, there's suddenly a small little media stream about the community. Um, as a favourite, um, like I said, I've mentioned a couple already, I'm, anything from Night Vale Presents is just utterly, utterly fantastic. Uh, Limetown, I wish there was more than just six episodes, because by the end of it, I'm just, oh, come on, you've left it on a cliffhanger, and I need more. But then outside of audio dramas, um, I would say, I basically like anything where the presenters just have a good report. I think you can get away with a very bad quality microphone and very bad quality editing, as long as the, um, as long as people talk on it, have a good rapport between each other. There was a podcast I used to listen to way back when called The Black Sun, which was another tabletop wargaming one, and they had a number of episodes, which was essentially them crowding around a mic in the middle of a weather spoon. <laughs> but it was just two hours of, it was like just being part of their group. You got to know everybody, they were really amusing. Um, what else do I like? Uh, there was a Canadian film podcast called uh, Film Junk, very standard in terms of content. So review films, talk about the news, 
But again, because they have been seeing films and have known each other for years and years and years, you get pick on the little in-jokes, like uh, whenever, say, a Star Trek or a sci-fi movie would come on, they'd bring in their friend uh, called Reed, who was just this really interesting person. Um, so it was a real treat having him on the show. And because they're in Canada, they still had a lot of these drive-in movie theatres up there, so they would talk about their experiences going to see films there and um, eating poutine and stuff we just don't have in Britain. Oh, poutine. Mm. I know, it just sounds like... Mm. I tried to spoke to my brother, who's a chef, and I spoke to him, and he goes, it's just gravy, cheese, and chips. I'm like, well, well, yes, but... <laughs> but it's poutine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, but I think a lot can be done uh, like, with just a voice behind the mic. Like Stacey. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. I know, you know, he didn't mention Geek Syndicate, but that's all right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I, I am bitter. Do you know what I mean? It's all good. It's all, gra- it's all gravy. I love um, you. Sorry? I love you. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks. Um, it's all right. We've got three million listeners. That's a lie. Um, so, <laughs> I was going to say, do you mean this show now? Because I'm pretty sure that's yeah. not true. <laughs> but I think what you said about um, uh, sound quality is, re- is a really important thing because there's there's been plenty of podcasts that I've listened to over the years where um, they've had amazing sound quality and I've listened to like 20 minutes of it, if that, and turned off because it's just not had that, the banter. Mm-hmm. And, there's other, and there's other podcasts I've listened to where the sound quality is not great. I mean... T- I know our sound quality isn't great a lot of the time. Um, I like to think we have the banter, but like you know, they they have the banter, and it's the mm-hmm. it's the banter that I come back for, not the the, the, the yeah. great sound quality. If in. there is one thing though that I will say for pod- people podcasting who are maybe new to it or thinking about starting to do it, like really try hard to get your levels right, because I have been burnt before. I've been really enjoying a podcast, but one person is so quiet that I have to have the volume right up, but another person. Yeah blows your fucking head off every time they speak because it's so loud just even it out a bit guys yeah it's difficult it it is it's a i think um people don't realize how difficult podcasting is until Mm. you start to do your own podcast and then people sort of go well it's just you and your mate having a chat and it is i mean you know that part's the easy part yeah yeah (laughs) geek syndicate is you know exactly it's just it's me and dave having a chat for an hour that that is it but it's it's just so much other stuff that goes on around it that is what takes you know like the editing and like the just organizing the time when you've mm. got busy lives and you know Dave's got sort of two kids and and you know jobs and all that just getting finding the time to get together to do a podcast in itself can be an adventure um then you know if you have t- difficulties recording and stuff like that then getting it out there and <laughs> and all that sort of stuff um doing it consistently so when people just say, "Ah, oh, it's just two guys talking," yes, it is. But then I always say, "Go and do your own podcast, and then you'll and then come back and tell me how easy you found it." I do think anyone can do one. Oh, of course, I think yeah. You've got, you've got to, yeah. There's, it's not as easy as just flicking on a mic, recording a thing, and being like, "Aha, done, uploaded." Yeah. <laughs> like, no, because for a start, I have to constantly go through my episodes for burps. <laughs> 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 I am straight up amazed that I haven't burped yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 11 hours normally I can't get through like an hour and a half show without being like bleh, at yeah, some and, point. and then and then you know from an editing point of view after 10 years I'm no longer I'm not sick of the sound of my own voice it's just mm. the voice that I edit um, but to begin with those first sort of you know certainly first few months editing and hearing your own voice back mm. is 
is really, really uh, surreal. See, now, I've been doing it for like nine years now. It'll be 10, 10 years next year. And uh, and I still struggle listening. I have to sort of think of it as being someone else because I hate the sound of my own voice. I'm going to have a field day with Ray Gunn and Starburst well, Series 2. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I now record with our um, sound nearly doubled speed, so we sound like chipmunks. <laughs> um, which actually, A, makes the editing a lot quicker, um, but B, also makes it a bit fun. It sounds like I'm listening to it. It sounds like I'm listening to like a kid version of Geek Syndicate. <laughs> um, try it, people. Um, and uh, so it's almost like I'm listening to it again for the first time, which makes my editing far fresher than it has been before because I'm a bit more kind of like, I, I hear things much better, I think, than where I, I think certain, certainly after you've been doing it for a long time, when you go into editing, you go almost into autopilot and you find, I've, I've found sometimes things have slipped through that I would have normally edited out if mm. this had been sort of like, you know, six years ago. I am the worst editor though. Literally all I ever edit out is like sneezes, sniffs and burps. No, I do Because I can't be arsed with anything yeah. else. It's too much effort, man. <laughs> Well, I, I remember, I remember, um, an episode I do of the pod, of the, I do a bi-weekly, um, podcast, uh, like a fiction podcast. And I remember my friend listening to one episode and saying, the one of the lines in the story is Peter said, I'm like, shit, that's gone out. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, and I normally quite good. I normally get most of them, but, you know, sometimes you're editing late at night and it yeah. kind of becomes like, uh, like a lot of second nature, but you just kind of get a bit, like not lazy, but it's like like you miss things. It becomes well, it becomes it becomes white noise. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm like, oh god, so now I'm ultra paranoid. So if I like, I'll finish editing, say like a twenty minute segment of a story, I'll leave it on audacity, uh, it'll be done. The amount of times I've gone, do you know what? I think there may have been another line, and I've sat back down with the whole thing and just listened back to it just to make certain there never is anything in there. But there's always that little thing on my shoulder just going. Are you sure you got all the love? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I had a thing recently where I was, uh, I somebody asked me to cut a bit out of an episode that they'd said just because it was a little bit too personal. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, but th- this person didn't ask me until I'd already told the same story to other people. Oh. <laughs> and then we, I was talking about it with my husband a bit later and had that terrible thought of like, did I tell you that separately or did I leave it in? Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> panic there's, i had to go back and listen to the episode i've had that a few times where i've um we've had someone interviewed them um and they've either said at the time could you take that bit out mm. okay or they've emailed me afterwards to say could you just i've just had a thought about whatever mm. i'm not allowed to say that yeah could you take okay and i know i've gone back i know i've edited i know i've taken it out i've published it and then i've gone did i really take it out <laughs> Um, did I save it? Did, did I, I? Did I? <laughs> I operate on the assumption if no one tells me, then I presume I've done a good yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I tend to. I, I, I don't. I don't do it as much as I used to. But I tend to. Whenever I've edited an episode, I then the next day because um, I walk into work anyway, and it's pretty much forty-five minute walk in. Um, I then listen to the podcast when I walk into work. So, you a narcissistic pig. I am. I am. <laughs> That's me, narcissistic pig. Thanks, Dace. Um, I, I do. <laughs> I do. No, A, for levels and stuff like that. And B, to make sure that I haven't made a complete faux pas for mm-hmm. things like taking something out that I might at least have a little bit of a chance to then fix. Even if it's gone out, I can still go into work, mm-hmm. edit it, and re-put it back out. Um, but all of that takes time. All of that is difficult. And, you know, the, the, 
the one piece of advice I now give to people who are thinking about starting a podcast. Um, pay an editor. <laughs> oh, a, pay an editor. Um, B, uh, certainly when you're starting out, don't do weekly. When you're starting no. out, don't no. say you're going to do weekly. Um, I can barely manage monthly yeah, with we, a bi-monthly one in between. We said weekly and, and to begin with, we were weekly and we kind of sometimes, we have spurts of being weekly now and spurts of like, where the fuck's Geek Syndicate? <laughs> which is currently what we're in at the moment I like, I think I've got a valid excuse for that at the yeah, moment I think so. um, but like you know if you're going to say people do do month I think if you're going to start a podcast now if you pick a schedule that you, you're comfortable with that you could easily do if it's if you feel like I could just about do that then no you know if you feel that you could, if you feel you can do weekly without any problem whatsoever which I think if for a lot of people some people can depending on the circumstance um, that's fine. I think if you're doing a solo podcast, I think it's much easier to do that because you're only relying on scheduling your own time. Mm. Um, but any more than that, I think you do have to think about it. Um, but I, I mean, I know this is an argument that people kind of, you know, unsubscribe to podcasts because they haven't put an episode out in months and stuff like that. I don't really do that because I'm kind of like, well, I've subscribed. I'm not really that bothered. It's not costing me anything to subscribe. Mm. So if it's a podcast I like, I'll just leave the subscription. Eventually they'll stick an episode out. And if they don't, well, I'm not going to, you know, it just doesn't bother me in that way. So I think that I, that worry that, or people are just going to subscribe to you. Yes, people go through coals where they sometimes will go through something and go, well, they haven't put an episode out in months. So I'm going to unsubscribe to them. Well, fair enough. But I would like to think that we don't really, if we're going to go like a month without sticking an episode out, we've tended to know that's going to happen and we've tended to tell people. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my trick for staying bi-weekly with, um, Tales of Malifaux, which is the main, main thing I work on. I have a project manager who, if we didn't have something ready to go for the next fortnight, emails both me and the guy who reads the stories going, right, Ian, Dom, where the hell is the next podcast already? So, uh, thanks, Aaron. It, it's all down to you. Aaron Darling, you're the most important person on the podcast because you're the one who makes us work. <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yeah, pressure. Yeah, well, I mean, but the thing is, sometimes you can organise. I mean, there'll be times with Dave and I know exactly when we're going to record, mm. and we will get to that time, and something un- unforeseen will happen. Um, you know, Dave can't get one of his kids to go to sleep, or something's happening at my end, and we, and you know, and life has life takes priority. Mm-hmm. You know, right. um, and then you sort of go, I can't record this week. You know. But we then record next week or, or whatever. And that, that's just what happens. And I, and I think when you, and also as well, it is, you go through loads of podcasts where you've got to find that kind of, to keep you kind of going with it and remind yourself why you do it. And nine times out of 10, no, actually no, 10 times out of 10, there's never a time where we don't record where I don't enjoy recording with Dave. There have been episodes we've recorded where we haven't necessarily thought that was a good episode, but I've never not enjoyed recording with mm-hmm. him. You know, because all I'm doing is having a conversation with him. It's the content that sometimes is a little bit. Meh. See, that's what makes my podcast risky business. Yeah, you've uh, always got someone different. Isn't you? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I've been quite lucky because for the most part, I've either had people I've met and spoken to before, so I at least, even if it's only like once briefly at a con, mm. so at least I've got a vague idea of what's of what they're going to probably talk about. Um, but there has been like a few times where I've spoken to like entirely new people and it has like really thrown me off. Like uh, the interview I did with Rob Paulson, I can't listen back to it. It makes me literally cringe. Like 
it's just super embarrassing because I'm literally just sitting there letting him talk and occasionally going, <laughs> because I've got, I've just got, I'm like, I've got no words. I'm talking to Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. Like, yeah. Okay. Fair See enough. what I mean? Um, but yeah, I do like I, it. Was kind of the point of the show to have it with a different co-host to kind of force me to talk to new people because new people scare me. Yeah, and this was a good way of trying to be less scared. But I found that it it works and it doesn't in the sense that um, I'm better at talking to people online and in interviews and things, but I'm still shit scared of people in person. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I, I community radio here in Cardiff and uh, film show I did on there. After a while, I found it so hard to get a regular co-host. I decided, well, let's have a pool of about six or so people. At the start of every month, I would say, right, who's available when? Yeah. And to the and it was so much easier. Mm. <laughs> kind of work around everyone's schedules. And I felt that it really worked for the show. She got different um, voices in, and because it was a film review show, you got everyone's different opinions in as well. So we had, like, some, mm. we had some casual film fans like me and my mates. We had a couple of um, proper film reviewers in as well. So it was just a nice revolving kind of carousel of like it's well we don't haven't just got two presenters we've actually got about eight but they kind of all switch in so it's nice to get to see everybody on a regular basis as well like, oh we've got Gareth this week or we've got this guy or we have this guy yeah it's a good way to do it on that note I think we've about hit our time I think we have oh there we go there we go how much longer have you got guys uh, we're, well we've got like 12 and a half hours left yeah. ish <laughs> So we, we, we still haven't hit halfway yet. Wait, no, we're close. Oh, the small of my back is really I'm going to have to move on to Scotch and Coke, I reckon. I'm going to have to start doing squats or something. I, um, I, I don't know. Have, have we got Coke? No, we haven't got Coke. What? I can get some. No. We've got, we've got Monster. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to just ruin whiskey. <laughs> it's, it, don't look at me like that. You asked me to order Monster. No, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm grateful for that because I will be cracking into the Monster, but I'm, you know. <laughs> Just as, as a as a mixer, yeah, it's not great. It's perhaps... unless you're doing like Jaeger bombs. Oh, I love Jaeger bombs. I don't have any. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for thank joining you. us for a bit. No yes. Problem at all. No problem at all. Yeah. Good evening and a good rest of the podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Bye bye. To Oh, we're running behind schedule and it's making me right. nervous. Uh, it's gonna happen. La, 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 la. Any word from social media, social media guy? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm yes. calling Andy. Sorry. Yes. Sorry, right. I can catch up with social media whilst you call Andy. Fair enough. Oof. Um, just a lot of love, really. Oh, we <laughs> love you too, everyone. Everyone's just been like, just seems to have formed a community. Really. Hello. Oh. Sort of spreading their love and. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I panicked for a moment there because I couldn't hear voices, and I thought, "Uh oh, I've broken something." Broken internet. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, we had a bit of a rough start with the show because um, I wasn't actually broadcasting for the first seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm just really nervous every time I call someone that I'm going to fuck it up somehow. And without being funny, that those seven minutes were probably the the best seven minutes that were just us two. The best, yeah, we've just us two. Yeah, yeah I don't want to dissonate the guests we've had on already. Do you know what I mean? They've all but, been amazing. Yeah. And it, did you have your most listeners in those seven minutes? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. I haven't actually looked at the listener count. I'm no, don't, to... don't, don't do it. Oh, no. All right, that's oh, fine. You did it, didn't I you? I did, did. Yeah. I saw. Did you see it? Oh. No, I did. Was <laughs> it just flatlined? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's dipping now. I won't like it's you, mate. It's not high. It's not high. It's... <laughs> It's fine. It is high. Let me take the mum. Yeah. Let's get, let's How's get that going. How's your mum swearing? Is she... Uh... Yeah, yeah, better check first. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing, dude? It's been too long since I've spoken to you. 
I know, it's been ages. Yonks. Yonks. It's been so long, I've got a new kitchen. <laughs> That's how long it's been, which I'm sitting in. It's half built. It's almost done. It's been the bane of my life for the last 10 months. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, ten, yeah. 10 months? Wow. 10 months, because we, we did the loft as well. Oh, okay. Never do the loft at the same time as the kitchen, leaving one room to live in. Uh, with two kids it's not good yeah, yeah that that's, sounds, that's just that's that, a mistake that's just yeah, a, yeah that is that, <laughs> I was going to say same but yeah mistake yeah, works just as well that's just a mistake yeah, yeah. yeah. you live and learn we're yeah. not going to do it again yeah well hopefully not because hopefully you'll have a shiny delightful new kitchen that won't need replacing forever yeah we'll, we'll probably I'll probably uh, move that'll, that'll be the next thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> finish the kitchen go yeah and then go let's put the house on the market yeah let's go Exactly. So, how are you guys? You're right. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, all right. Towards halfway. Yeah, eleven hours. Eleven and a half. Eleven and a half hours. Yeah, you're right. Eleven and a half hours. Yeah. No coke for mixers though. I know. I think Mike's literally just gone to the shop. Has he? That's where he's gone. If he's going to the shop, I would have sent him. I would have sent him to get Get chocolate and and, whisper. Get get a whisper. I don't know if he's listening in. If you're still listening, Mike, come back with a whisper. I'll have a galaxy bar. Not, not at all. Literally, it's, it's pizza time now. Put the order in. <gasps> oh, oh, do you know, we ha- I made a pasta bake yesterday and it's in the microwave waiting for us to cook it, but I really don't want to eat it. I'm now tempted to say, fuck that, because yeah, no get pizza. pizza. Yeah. Part of me is thinking, last time we ordered a pizza and had a, fell about laughing because I ordered some chicken strippers, which everybody thought was hilarious. Really? I usually find they're quite wet though when, when you order them. It's like, what is this? This isn't nice and crispy like the picture. This is like this this soggy, soggy chicken flask. See, <laughs> see, they do they, they do cracking chicken strippers in Northampton. I have to say. All right, I'm I'm sorry about the noise, but I'm about to get up and just stand up for a bit because that's right. My bum is killing me, guys. You don't understand. <laughs> she's, she's now standing. I don't know what's going on. Right, um, oh, Andy, we haven't even properly introduced yourself, and there's people listening who probably don't know who you oh. are. I know you make the assumption that everyone in the world knows who you are, mate. Well, I no, don't. It's the other way. I make the assumption that nobody knows who I am. <laughs> okay, well, then we're working on a great assumption then. Um, <laughs> so, so, would you do, sir, introduce yourself? Um, yep, yeah, uh, I'm Andy Ewington, a comic writer in my spare time, um, writing for the likes of 451 at the moment, which is Michael Bay's uh, new comic publishing arm, um, amongst other things, uh, including 45, Blue Spear, and Overrun. Uh, yeah, that's it. I write comics when I can. Cool. I um, I say this every time we speak, but the 45 is still one of the best things I've ever read. It, yeah, that was, <laughs> uh, it was awesome. Obviously, you know, it was, you know, I loved it, mate, because we, I reviewed it. Um, yeah, I thought 45 was awesome and really, a really clever idea. And I don't think anyone's tried to do something like that since 45, which is a bit of a shame. Thank you. I sort of peaked too early there, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> It's like the, the failed second album, Minish like, Return. Yeah. Well, no, I thought Blue Spear was amazing. But yeah, Blue he Spear was, was one good, of my favourite characters from Forty Five. So I was like, yes, as soon as you announced it. Yeah, yeah, Blue Spear was good. Did you ever think of? Um, I'm sure you did. And you're probably going to tell me this, but do you ever think of doing more with more stuff like Blue Spear with like other char- other characters and stuff? Of, of, of course, um, it, it, it's there uh, as a, uh, a concern when mm-hmm. I'd love to do more. Um, I, guess, I guess money is the one thing that kind of holds you back uh, mm. with everything. Um, so I may go back to it. I'm, I'm kind of in a new uh, new place at the moment. What with four five one, it just means I'm I'm constantly busy. I have been for the last 
gosh, two and a half years. Right. Pretty much writing uh, solidly for those guys. So, yeah, it's gone on the back burner a bit, but um, I'm sure, I'm sure later down the line when I've made some money out of this business, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll re-look at it. Because, I mean, for um, people who don't know what 45 is, um, and I'm trying to sort of pimp it out because actually I think it's a great read and people should read it. What's the idea behind 45? 45 is a 45 sort of transcript superhero interviews. So it's not traditional comic, um, very much prose heavy, um, but it's accompanied by a piece of comic art, uh, be a splash piece or uh, an artist interpretation uh, in panels of some of the interview. It doesn't have to be all of it, just different segments of it. Um, and basically, it's a story of a father-to-be, who's a journalist, in a superhero world where you can have a test to determine the not the birth of the child, you can still do that, obviously, but um, whether the child has superhero, uh, superhero powers or not. Um, and this guy, this journalist, decides that he doesn't want to sort of find out um, whether he's got a superhero-imbued child, um, and rather goes out and interviews from birth all the way through to death uh, in chronological order um, through lots of different superheroes to sort of find out what what to expect. And along the way, he kind of uncovers this sort of nefarious organisation that appears to be helping um, newborns and new new families that have their own sort of agenda. And it's awesome. And it's awesome, of course. Sorry, I'll, I'll leave that for other people to say. I don't know <laughs> to, to judge my own work. That's um, slippery slope, I think. Yeah. And obviously, Blue Spear was a was a spin off title featuring one of the characters that interviewed who was interviewed in Forty Five. Yes, that's right. Blue Spear was one of the first spin off characters. Um, there were two others planned: um, X and Skyline, and um, that would sort of complete a mini arc. He's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, we will still complete it one day, um, just not not right at this moment. But um, yeah, so that was the whole sort of little universe, and um, I guess it's. Well, it's, it got picked up by um, Plan B, which was um, Brad Pitt's company. Mm. So uh, it's with those guys at the moment and um, sort of being looked at. As, as everything with Hollywood, it, it takes years for, for it to ever sort of, uh, sort of come to the surface of, of um, script or anything like that. So I'm not holding my breath, but um, pleasantly surprised and enthralled that it's, you know, somebody in Hollywood thought it was good enough to option. Yeah. So we'll see. See what happens. Fingers crossed, mate. Yeah, thank you. So um, my sort of most recent sort of brush of your work was reading um, Overrun, right. um, which again I really enjoyed. And um, I'll ask you to explain the premise. So, but before I say that, I'll say from a IT point of view, as someone who works in IT and I work as a sort of a programmer, I thought it was really, really clever and really well thought out from that perspective. It's um, so, okay. Um, so explain the premise because then it will make sense as to why I've just said what I've said. Okay. Well, Overrun is, um, is let's think about how I, I came to Overrun. Um, it's basically trying to personify, uh, the computer world. So you have, um, a bit like, um, Kit Ralph. Um, you have, a uh, characters that are inside a computer that have their own life, doing their own thing. And, um, I, I very much play on things like, what, what does a JPEG look like? Um, and how, how, how it would look in the, uh, in a computer world. And rather than going down the Tron route or going too sort of sci-fi heavy with it, I just thought, well, let's make it look like what it does now. 
uh, Aaron world. So uh, I'm wearing a T-shirt right now uh, with a picture on it. That would make me a J. Yeah, JPEG. If you listen to a certain type of music, you'd be a music file because you'd have headphones on and dressing the style. And you, as soon as you sort of set up those rules, um, that's how I sort of created this world of Overrun. And you basically have a bunch of uh, forgotten computer game characters that are sort of drawn out the, the shadows because there's sort of a, a virus that's been released within the city or with the computer, and um, they've got to save the day or be, be wiped out. And it's awesome. And it's awesome. So I think, yeah, I, yeah, I did. I, I really enjoyed Overrun, and I wasn't sure what I would think about it because, like I said, the whole sort of Tron thing. I thought this has kind of been done before, and I wasn't sure. But like I said, the detail you put into the whole idea of like the different file types re- re- being represented as different sort of characters, I thought was uh, really clever. Um, yeah, and it's definitely um, the art was really lovely as well. Yeah. Well, we had um, originally we had um, uh, Cosmo White working on it, um, and he got uh, snapped up on Thundercats, I think it was. Um, so I wasn't going to begrudge him that. I mean, to be sort of been given a sort of a, well, yeah, a great franchise to work on. It was like, yeah, go, you know, go with my blessing. You know, I'm, I'm, I was pleased for him and pleased that you know somebody like that would be interested in Oprah. So um, you know, he's. Funny enough, he I, I brought him in on uh, four five one, and uh, he worked on Humbug. I don't know if you saw Humbug um, from four five one. It's sort of an Ebenezer Scrooge sort of paranormal uh, investigates type of comic. Oh, cool! Uh, but uh, Cos did all the art on it. It looks actually very very beautiful. Uh, but then after Cos left, um, we were sort of scratching around, and um, we got recommended to Paul Green, and yeah, he he came in and just knocked it out of the park. I think Paul's doing what's he working on? I can't remember what he's working on. He's done some covers recently that went uh, viral. Um, lots of people were picking up his covers. But, um, yeah, he, he's done a beautiful job on it. And um, we that, was again, was something that was self-published. So all F, all of, I had Matt Woodley working on it with me. Right. And, um, Matt, I brought in um, one because he had a lot of computer game experience, uh, having worked in the industry, um, sort of client side for, God, donkey's years. Um, with Ian Livingston uh, in those early days and um, yeah I mean he came in we had lots of ideas and I thought you know what let's just do it together and um, yeah we you know Overrun was born we put a lot of money into it and um, done a very very limited rub so um, yeah see what happens with that I mean again as you know um, Barry um, you know the, the ultimate aim for generally for writers is to Try and get the holy grail of a, a transmedia out of, out of things, mm-hmm. and try and get a film deal and TV deal because you know you think you know that's that's the way way to go. Um, and so now overruns with my management and hoping that those guys will find a home for it. Yeah, yeah, and it is. Yeah, it's a and and for me, I mean, it is a holy grail for me. It, it kind of that whole situation with Fallen Heroes. Um, was all just completely by accident. You know, it wasn't, I didn't have an agent or anything like that. It was just, they'd just stumbled across it. And at the time, they were actually looking for a um, a comic to adapt. Um, because the cover of Fallen Heroes has a kind of graphic novel vibe to it, mm-hmm. they were they, they originally had thought it was a graphic novel. Yeah. And, when, and when they ordered it and it turned up, they realised, oh, crap, it's actually a prose novel. Yeah. But we'll, we'll give it a read anyway. And then they read it and they enjoyed it. And it kind of, you know, it went... It went from there. Um, so, whereas now I'm in a situation of having 
the novel and then having spin-off comics and stuff like that. And, you know, at the moment we are, weirdly, yesterday I um, read, so we're working on a, I haven't really said this actually, but I've got uh, Yomi, I can never pronounce Yomi's surname, but he does a clockwork watch um, with uh, Corey Brotherston, uh, which is amazing. If people haven't read it, they should. Um, and they're both helping me to, well, they're, they're doing it. They're writing a pilot episode of a Fallen Heroes TV, um, holy crap, TV show, which I'm, we're then gonna pitch to, um, I think it definitely needs uh, a slightly chubby, like 30 ish year old Grammy in it. Definitely. Well, I, I can, I can certainly send those lines over to, uh, Corey, Corey's now writing the last few pages, so I, I can definitely send those lines over to him. Thanks. But they've been working on this for like months, bless them, in, in their own time and stuff like that. And, um, I've, I've only got to, I got to look at the script this week. It's the first time I've seen the script. And, um, it was brilliant because the first, the first part of that script is something that isn't in the book. Yeah. That they've added in to effectively, because to make it more like a TV show and yeah. stuff like that. But what was different from when they actually did the series treatment when I initially sold the, the rights many years ago was the first thing they did was change up stuff for the sake of changing things. I have no yeah. problem with people changing stuff. Um, if it if services the story. Services yeah. the story. And the first thing I saw, I was like, I don't remember writing any of this, but it serviced the story. This is brilliant. And I said to Yomi, like, this, this is brilliant what you've done. Is, is you know is wicked, um, and we had a whole sort of conversation about it and stuff like that. And um, so again, because I know Amazon have a whole open policy where you can submit scripts to um, Amazon Prime. Yep. So that's the plan. Is that that's that's what's going to happen? And you know, nothing may come of it, but you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's well, what yeah, I say. Well, going to be in it to win it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, what's that? What was that feeling like when you saw the script? Um, what for wh which script are we talking about first time around or um, well to be I mean nothing really stumped the, the initial time when they actually sent me an email to say they wanted to, to, to buy um, yeah they wanted to, to get an option out of it yeah. and um, and then being invited down to London and having a meeting about it all was the whole time I kept thinking is this really happening mm. Um, and then, you know, them actually giving me that whole reality about the whole sort of, you know, you've got a lot of black characters in this book and that might be a difficult sell and blah, blah, blah. And then when I got the initial, they didn't, I didn't just get a script to the first episode. What, what I got was a serious treatment. So effectively they plotted out the sort of first half of the season. Yep. Um, with character, with the characters and stuff like that. And, um, some of the changes they made, I just, didn't understand why they'd made those changes mm -hmm. um and some of the characters like in the book there's two characters um luther and catherine in the book and in and they're just friends you know colleagues and and catherine had left the organization and luther was bringing her back in for to investigate something and there was no romantic link to them whatsoever they were just friends whereas in the, the story treatment they'd done suddenly they'd had this sort of past relationship and it was all this will they want they sort of thing. And I'm like, well, I, that wasn't in the book and there's no point to that. Mm. Um, whereas there are other characters they could have done that with and I would have kind of been, okay, that <laughs> might have worked. It's, this is, again, this might be another soapbox situation for me, but I've got a, a really big thing about unnecessary romantic subplots or unnecessary sexy bits. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if it's because I'm asexual or just 
because it's far too prevalent in things. But I often just thought I, it really stresses me out that, that mainstream media doesn't seem to think that men and women can be friends without at least thinking about porking. Yeah. <laughs> it just, yeah. Oh, it does my head in because I'm just like, you know what, sometimes people are just friends. And, yeah. And it's a big <laughs> thing in, in, in Fallen Heroes because when you actually read the book, there is no real, there's no central romance story in that book. Um, and that was quite important to me because I, I liked the idea of having the, you know, and there's a lot of periods, there's a lot of male and female periods in the book because you've got Ben and Steph, you've got Catherine and Luther. And, but the point of it was is that they were friends. And even in, even with sort of Steph and Ben, they'd had a relationship. I don't really go on about it, but that, but I had a relationship that they'd sort of slept together a couple of times and then realized it did, just didn't work. And they just went on to being friends. So that was my way of kind of dealing with all of that. So there was no will they want they will, I've done all that already. You've just not seen it. They have, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And you know, and and now they're mates. And with Luther and Cap, and with Luther and Catherine, there was none of that. They were just mates. Um, and that came from my own life, where I have a lot of female friends that are, I have a lot of great female friends. And that was kind of my way of kind of paying homage to that was by doing that in the book. You know, um, so when they sort of straight away kind of threw that, they went, oh, no, we can't have that. We've got to have a bit of a romantic entanglement. Um, they changed. So I made quite a big thing of the fact that the main sort of character or, or the kind of Harry Potter type character, which is Jason Shen in the book, is um, he's, he's part British, part Japanese. Um, or is he Chinese? I don't know. Um, but um, I've been drinking. But the first thing they did was... They wiped that out. And in, in, in their version, he was called Jason Hughes. He had a girlfriend and, and, and even his, the whole sequence where the book starts with him having this like terrifying nightmare, then open and then waking up in class. That bit wasn't there. That's not how it opens and stuff like that. Um, I guess, and, sorry, I was going to say, I guess a, a part of you, you have to sort of say, you know, how much do I let go? I mean, if, um, argument's sake, Ridley Scott or somebody picked it up and said, nope. We want sort of a love interest entanglement. These guys have a history. You know, at what point do you sort of say, you know what, I'm quite happy to compromise my integrity of the story and, um, dude, knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a difficult, well, one of the things actually, it wasn't cool. What my wife said to me was, um, it's about picking your battles. And she said, this isn't the battle. This isn't the time to fight the battle. She said, when, when they take it, and because this was only the stage where they didn't have to take it and pitch it to studios, which is what they started to do. And there was a moment where we thought Sky were going to take it. Um, there was a moment we thought BBC were going to take it. And, um, a couple of, I think, like Fox might have taken it. If they had taken it, I knew we'd probably get a season then. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and what she's, what she said quite rightly was, when they, when some big studio says we want to do this and they come back to you for final sign off, that's when you go, I'm not going to sign on dotted line unless this, this, and this happens. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously there's negotiation, there's a back and forth. And there were certain things that I knew straight off that I was going to be okay with and certain things that I was going to be like, no. Um, and in my mind, a, a biggie for me was the, the, um, the fact that sort of Luther, Ben, um, and Napoleon, were all black. That for me was a non-starter. Yeah. Um, and then what Dave said to me was similar to what you just said, Andy. What if they threw down like a couple of million paycheck for it? <laughs> you know, what are you going to do then? Which effectively means like you can quit your job, you can do what you want to do, write the sort of stuff you want to do, what are you going to do? How far are you prepared to compromise the morals? And I said, well, 
Fortunately, that's not a question I have to answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's nice to think about those questions. Yeah, it is nice to think about those questions, and 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 I don't know, I don't know, but I I very much believe that as a an author or any kind of writer, if you have that massive success, so you look at say your Harry Potter. By the time they got around to doing those films, Harry Potter as the books were a phenomenal success. So yeah. she could effectively walk in and go, I want it done this way. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it didn't happen exactly like that, mm-hmm. but those books were pretty darn close. That, sorry, those films and the casting were pretty darn close to those books. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't change a great deal in those films. No. Um, and I think a lot of that was down to the fact that she had the pool because she had the money behind her because of how much you know, yeah. those books had made. She's she could, she's got the way. She could turn around to that studio and go, do you know what? F you, I'm going to go down the road. Yeah. Knowing that they're going to pick it up. So you want to keep her happy. Whereas if you're someone like, say, me, who, you know, 50 people have bought your book. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's, it's a similar principle. And you're so excited that someone wants to buy the rights to it. Yeah. And, and, and then someone actually wants to make a TV show of it. They'll go, we're going to make some changes to it. What, what do you do? Because you suddenly think this might be, this is it. This might be my one shot. Yeah, exactly. This may, this may be the, the, the crack in the door that gets me through. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm in a similar situation. I mean, 45 aside, um, I've, I'm constantly writing, um, comic scripts. And I mean, we've chatted about this, um, sort of offline. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my, I'm now working to a 60 page one shot, um, as my first port call. And that goes straight off to production and management. Um, doesn't even go to comic publishers. Um, wow. Generally, it, it goes straight out. Um, and I've, I mean, I've had, I've had one picked up. Um, and I was expecting, I was told the script, the, the pilot script would arrive, uh, this week or next week. So, um, I'm still sort of chomping a little bit waiting for it. But, um, yeah, I, I've, I've decided to sort of, you know, if the comic stuff, picks up and, and people want to publish me. Absolutely great. Love it. Um, but I'm, I'm now writing with, um, a wider audience in mind, you know, because unfortunately I can't, I can't bankroll, uh, the comics continuously. I mean, you saw that, um, did you see the fighting fantasy, um, freeway fighter piece I put up yesterday? No. Uh, Simon Colby. Um, yes, it was a beautiful piece that uh, Simon did. Um, I've, I've basically, if you go to my Facebook page, there's a, there's a big sort of splash piece. Um, I'm working with Ian Livingston at the moment. Um, oh, cool. So I've, I've, for a long time, I've wanted to create a comic out of either Death Trap Dungeon or Freeway Fighter. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've created scripts of both of them, um, with Ian's blessing. And, um, I'm going to probably kickstart it if no publisher comes in for it, uh, with Simon Colby doing the art on it. So, um, that's probably another comic that I will do myself. But apart from that, I mean, obviously, I'll still service 451. And if anybody else comes up to me and says, please write for me, I'll be like, yep, love to. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can afford anymore. I think Overrun wipes me out. Right. And 45 as well. Um, I, I, it's, it's a hard thing to keep on going. Yeah. You know, and, and make money. It's just, um, yeah. Especially for a writer. I mean, it's, it, at least with an artist, you can fall back on your art and sell that. Obviously, you've got to find a market that wants to buy it. But, um, you know, you've got cons and things like that. You send a writer to a con, as, you know, somebody like myself, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, what, what do you want me to, su- what do you want me to do? I can't, I can't just write on the spot and <laughs> yeah, can I... to take home. Yeah, write, write your story, mate. Yeah. <laughs> do you want a sketch? It's going to be really crap. 
Yeah. <laughs> like a little stick man. Um, yeah, it's, it's harder, I think, um, for a writer to make, um, serious money. Um, because, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, the only thing that we've got to sell is our words and ideas. And, um, you know, we can't fall back on our art. And, you know, um, yeah, there's, there's always a big debate as to, you know, making money with, with regards to writers and artists. So I think writers can do it quicker because obviously with regards, they can churn out material a lot quicker than an artist can. Mm-hmm. Um, but an artist has something at the end of it to sell, I think. Um, whereas a writer, even though they have that to sell with, I think, you know, the only people that are going to pick that up are publishers and studios. Um, you know, the market isn't going to necessarily just take a script off of you. You can't just sell a script, um, to, to Joe Bloggs. Um, so yeah, it tends to be a, a sort of a, a double-edged sword, I think, writing and art, in my opinion. I suppose, yeah, I suppose I'm, I don't know, lucky is the right way to put it, but I suppose because I write prose, um, in terms from that perspective, I, you know, at the end, I, I have got something to, to sell. You know, it's, I've got something to put out there, which isn't necessarily reliant on other people. Um, but it's still, you know, a very tough gig to make it profitable to sort of say, oh, I'm going to quit my day job. And, and I think the thing now with self publishing is it's that barrier to entry has been completely destroyed because anyone can sit down and write a book, get it on Amazon, get it self-published. And, you know, which I think, speaking of someone who self-publishes, is absolutely amazing. But it's it's the same principle of comics as well. It's the fact that so many people are doing it. Um, you're fighting an ocean of other quality stuff, many of which, and I'm not saying this to sort of put myself down, but many of which is better than mine, um, all fighting for that, those same the same punters of which there aren't that many because the, you know, the hobbies that people are into now are so varied, you know, um, so many comics out there, different comic titles, so many different books out there that to try and get you or to try to become like, which is what everyone's goal as a writer, Jeremy, you want to be the next sort of JK Rowling. I'm not saying it from a point of view, you want to do the next Harry Potter, but yeah, you, you know, People don't like to talk about things like that, but you do want to be successful. You do want to have money in your pocket so that you don't have to do your day job. You can do this as a profession. Yeah. Or at the very least, you can quit your day job and go, I've written that that one sort of free book series, which means I'm now set for life. I can now do whatever the heck I want, be that writing little stories or whatever. That's what kind of most people want. Yeah. Um, and um, for a lot of us, that's just not going to happen because... There's just too, you know, there's, there's too many of us fighting for the same slice of cake. That's, and that is the reality of it. And I kind of realized that myself. And it's, you know, um, and something my wife always sort of says to me, um, it's, it's almost like not about how many cells or how many things that you put out there. It's about it landing on the right desk at the right time. She's a big believer of that. And, um, I'm now a big believer of that. Certainly after what happened to Fallen Heroes, that was just a complete fluke. That wasn't me being like clever and conniving and, and, and targeting companies to send it to, which I've done. I've done that, you know. Yeah. Um, that was just literally a, a, a freak chain of events that led to that. So that very much made me think about, you know, it's uh, about getting to the right person at the right time. Even the BBC stuff that we did, mm-hmm. how that came about, it turned out a BBC producer listened to Geek Syndicate. We had no idea. Um but again, it's that thing of it's not necessarily having like hundreds of thousands or millions of listeners. It's about having 
that one important listener that could actually make a difference in your life. So don't worry so much about the fact that you've only got 10 listeners because you don't know who those 10 listeners are. And it's the same for comics sometimes where don't, um, don't necessarily worry because sometimes you might only have 10 people who bought your comic at a con. But one of those people could be, you know, I don't know, an agent for... I don't know, J.J. Abrahams, do you know what I mean? Or, or could it, you know, it could be like J.J. Abrahams' nephew who then goes home, happens to have your comic sitting in there as he walks through and goes, what's that? Oh, it's just great. Great Uncle Jay. I'm sure you call him Uncle Jay. <laughs> you know, he needs to check. Uncle J.J. Yeah, Uncle J.J. This is great, you know, and then he reads it and then he gets in contact with you and then suddenly, you know, 45 is a multi-million dollar film. That's how, you know, a lot of the time, that's how these things happen. It is, there's an element of, of luck to it, I, I think, I, I truly believe. Um, I agree with you with the saturated market as well. I think, yeah. you know, I, I think that that's that's a, another reason why I sort of went. You know what? I'm just going to write, and then I'm sending it to Hollywood, and they're like reading it, going, "Okay, so what what is this? Is this a comic? Is this a whatever?" Um, because it, you know, it, it's written as a comic, but it's it's you know, we're submitting it as a script, and um, with that, I'm then breaking it down into as you guys, your guys did with writing a season. I'll write a season out and um, list the episodes. Um, so I'll do my homework and write up, you know, characters and bios and everything and maybe come do a piece of art. I mean, guys like Martin Simmons and, and Ben Oliver have done me pieces that, and Callum Alexander-Watt have all done these sort of splash pieces that then accompanies the script as it goes out. And I've actually had more success doing it that way than actually sending it to comic companies, just trying to submit to comic companies and saying, look, I've got all these creds. Just gets you nowhere. <laughs> yeah. What? You know, I've written with George Pelicanos. I've written with Mark Maluke. Yeah, not interested. <sighs> okay. So there's got to be other ways. So that's that's what I think. I think sometimes if it's if it's not working one way, I think you need to sort of zig rather than go straight forward. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um. Sorry, Barry was just flagging up to me the uh, the time, but um, our next guest isn't here yet, so... Ah, oh, awesome. And he's happy better. to keep talking. Yeah, cool. <laughs> if I'm fine by yeah. that. <laughs> I'm all good. So you, you also did... Um, I'm just looking at this blurb here, because I, I remember you mentioned this to me. You did something for uh, Just Cause 3, the video game, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, basically, um, that came... How did that come about? Originally, I did the Dark Souls 2. And in my day job as a graphic designer, I'm always looking for ways, as much as um, as possible, to, to bring a comic into the company, uh, like a comic project, because then, bingo, I'm at work, and I'm doing comics, which is what kind of what I want to do. Um, so, or- originally I went to Bandai and pitched the comic um, for Dark Souls 2, um, again with Simon, um, and that, that came about. And then off of the back of that, I sort of showed that sort of a year later to um, Square Enix and said, yeah, can we can I do Just Cause 3? And they looked at it and went, yeah, go on then. So I wrote the script. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I ended up writing a sort of a 20, 24-page comic. Um, again, got Simon. Me and Simon seem to have this thing going on. Um, I do love his art. And, um, yeah, wrote a... Um, originally, it was going to be a sort of an origin story, how Rico, uh, the main character in Just Cause 3, because there's not a lot of history about characters. It's very much an 80s action hero. Yeah, because I've played the um, I've played the first two games. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're not familiar with Just Cause, just just imagine every sort of cliche that you can get in an 80s film: explosions, jumping out of helicopters, um, generally uh, true lies on acid, um, 
and, and huge explosions. Um, and, but there's not a lot of, I guess, background story. So originally, I wanted to write a sort of an origin story about Rico. And, it's just called Three set in his homeland, and he's going back to his parents who are dead. Um, that's not a spoiler. That's how it starts. Okay. <laughs> um, and um, he's sort of trying to overthrow a dictator again. Yeah, um, he's, got, he's got a thing about dictators. He doesn't like. I was gonna, I was gonna say he doesn't have much luck when he goes on holiday, does he? Goes <laughs> to a dictator sitting there and goes, "All I want to do is just go away, have a nice time." And there's this dictator coming along, and I've now got to overthrow. Um, and generally, um, I wanted to do this sort of backstory, origin story, and, you know, how he sort of became this sort of stunt man type character, um, which was beautiful. I thought it was really, really lovely. Um, but um, obviously, talking to the client, we thought that it perhaps didn't uh, serve the fans enough. So we, we did a, a, a comic that was basically Just Cause 1, knitted into Just Cause 2, and then it ends on the opening of Just Cause 3. So I quite, I, I like taking comics and basically sort of weaving it into the start of the game. So um, that, that's kind of how it got around. So yeah, it ended up with a really nice comic. It's actually free online. I think you can download it. Oh, awesome. But um, I'll, I'll send the link and share it around. Um, cool. So yeah, I'm always looking for computer game stuff because um, that allows me to bring it into the office and uh, work on it. But uh, Just Cause was a, was a great one because I got to put lots of explosions in it. <laughs> um, which, which, is, which can never fail. I mean, I get to do that with four, five, one. Obviously, with Michael Bay stuff. Yeah, well, a standard Michael Bay, really. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you know, it's not his scripts. I mean, um, six was written with George Pelicanos who wrote The Wire. Um, so, or a couple of episodes of Riot, Wire and the Pacific um, and Treem, and um, yeah, you know, that that's a sort of a a retelling of the Magnificent Seven for a load of Marines and drug cartel and explosions. Uh, nice. Which is a perfect Michael Bay fodder. Uh, <laughs> and I've also worked on Sunflower, which was with um, Mark Malouk, who wrote Black Mass. Um, mm. So that was, that's cool. Working with those guys, I actually got to meet Mark at uh, New York Comic Con last year. Uh, very down-to-earth guy. Um, and what else am I working on? Working on Rob Cohen, uh, the guy that, one of the guys that, yeah, he directed um, Triple X and Fast and the Furious uh, on Red Dog, which is basically a sort of a boy and a, his dog in space on a planet. Cool. And, uh, his dog goes missing and he, he kind of does this sort of tries to get his dog back sort of story. Um, and his dog's robotic and everything. So there's lots of cool, cool little things. Um, so I'm working on that with uh, Robert Atkins, who's doing uh, G.I. Joe. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. They're keeping me busy, um, which is nice. It's nice to be able to have regular comic work. Um, I've actually put myself down for, um, you know, that DC are doing this talent uh, mm. sort of development program. Yeah. Uh, so I've put myself down. Not that I'll make the shortlist, I'm sure, but um, if I do, it'll be like a three o'clock in the morning lesson, which is going to be fun. It's going to be like what you guys are going to feel in about five hours. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> Sitting there going, right, I've really got to pay attention. <laughs> I know. What I've realised is I need to sort of, obviously I'm drinking water. I've had a couple of messages from people, little side messages where they say, I can hear that your voice is, is going a bit, whatever. You Drink haven't water. even had that much whiskey, you're worse. Right? No, whiskey doesn't make my voice go. Talking for 12 <laughs> hours makes my voice go, funnily enough. Yeah, um, mine usually goes after an hour. I, uh, yeah. That's my threshold. And then it just goes really bad. Oh, have you heard? I've been on 
the radio loads recently. I had heard oh, about yeah, that. <laughs> to do with um, trains. Trains, isn't it? <laughs> trains. Bloody trains. Um, unfortunately, I live in Surrey, so I have to take the Southern Railway, which is like always on the news about because of the, the, there's some unofficial strike that's going on. And so I'm, I'm winding up. I think the first time was that I, I just tweeted to BBC Surrey about Red Hill being closed. And then I got a tweet back saying, can you give us a call? I went, all right, yeah, sure. I said, yeah, uh, I'm just calling you back. I said, yeah, we're just putting you through to the studio. I was like, what, what? <laughs> so on the front line, giving a live report to, to BBC Surrey. And then a couple of days later, they go, um, yeah, we want you back, talking about it. I was like, oh, all right, okay. And then BBC, BBC Four got in touch, said, can you do some sound bites? So now there's, I, I appeared three times. And then the day that I appeared on, on Friday when I was on the radio to BBC Surrey, basically complaining about Southern Rail, um, I then got a, a message. No, they, they phoned like an hour later. I went, hello? They said, yeah, it's BBC Surrey. Yeah? We just got a questionnaire that you've just done online. Um, we'd like to get you on the radio. I said, seriously, guys, I've just been on the radio. And <laughs> with you guys. She went, oh, oh okay. Um, look, I'll tell you what. I said, seriously, if, if you want, I'll, come, I'll do it again. If you want me to come along and complain about Southern, I'm quite happy to do that. I've been doing memes galore about how shit Southern are at the moment. <laughs> so, um, if you want me to come back, I'll come back. But seriously, it's, it's going to start sounding like it's like I'm the, the obsessed, which I am. Sort of only guy that, that's complaining about it. Like, let's get this madman on that keeps on complaining about something. There's like nothing wrong with it. But let's just get him on again for a bit of comedy. <laughs> somebody else, bring him on. She said, Look, I'll tell you what, I'll find somebody else. But if we can't, can we get you back? I went, Yeah, go on. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, let's see if I appear back on radio again. But, Fingers um, crossed. Yeah, I get a little bit scared. I get a little bit nervous. See, podcasts are my right. I've no shades. All of a sudden, when they go, yeah, it's national radio. I'm going, oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. My hand's like shaking uncontrollably as I'm trying to, to trying to talk and my throat's like wobbling like anything and I'm, I'm making mistakes and, and whatnot. Skype's I'm, I'm usually okay with now. At the start, I'm like terrible. Um, I'd, I'd really hate myself on radio and, and podcasts and things like that, but I seem to have mellowed a little bit in my old age. I think I've done too many of them. No, you're doing good, You're sir. doing pretty good. I think Bevis is here, so. We're going to have to say goodbye to you, Andy. Oh, no. Yeah. Just got into the swing of things. But um, it's been lovely talking to you again. And you. Yeah, it's been too long, mate. I know we talk on um, Facebook relatively often. I'll come back. Whenever you want me to come back to your podcast, I'll come back. Cool. Good. I'll hold you to that. Okay. It's gone out to the world now, so you can't go back on it. Yeah, you've got, you've got <laughs> proof good? now. I've got, I've got this little picture of you. This is going to sound weird. Honestly, <laughs> and it's just looking at me. It's just staring, unblinking. With a little face like that, with a, your puckered lips. Oh, going, yeah. So I've been staring at that for 50 minutes. 42 and 18, 19, 20 seconds. Just, just look at it. I'm blinking. That's got to be slightly disturbing. Yeah, something tells, something tells me she'll be changing it now. <laughs> nah. No? Too lazy. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, look, good luck, guys, getting through the rest of it. Thank you. Cheers, mate. <laughs> and if anybody's listening, give to charity, man. Give to charity. Yeah. Yeah, do it. We need to give out the link in. We haven't given the link out. Yeah, it's justgiving.com forward slash SPCP live too. Boom. Boom. Done. Bye, Andy. Bye. See you, mate. See you later, mate. <laughs> you waved again. I did, I know. <laughs> I don't know why I keep doing that. 
Just keep getting tired and lose the energy for fun. Just cross your heart and hope for the summer's Shine.